Hello, this is Pastor Pete Beck III with LifeNet in Burlington, North Carolina. Welcome to today's podcast, which is entitled, How to Cast Out Evil Spirits. This is the 25th article in a series entitled, Wonderful Counseling. You can access the rest of the articles by going to my website, thirdpeter.com. Evil spirits are master intimidators and inveterate liars. They will use every trick in the book to convince us that we have no ability or right to get rid of them. The usual shenanigans include telling us that they are too strong for us, are not going to do what we tell them, have a right to be there, or to try to convince us that we have some area of personal sin that disqualifies us from ministry. For this reason, before every ministry session, I spend time declaring aloud and reminding myself, the persons with whom I'm working, the Lord, and any demons present, that my righteousness is derived solely from Christ, not my own performance. My authority is Christ's authority, and I am his personal representative, and Jesus is Lord over the ministry session and everything else. I also invite the Holy Spirit to oversee everything and ask him to work in and through me to help the other person. If setting people free from demonic oppression depended on my righteousness or my authority, I would fail, but since it solely depends on Christ, I will succeed, and so will you. This means that evil spirits must do what we command them to do in Christ's name. We don't have to raise our voices or struggle in any fashion. We don't need a band of strong men to hold down a demonized person. If we resort to such tactics, I believe it reveals that we think the battle is ours instead of the Lord's and have been deceived from the very start. Let's talk about the theology of deliverance. The theology of deliverance is simple. When Jesus died and rose again, he stripped Satan of his authority and right to rule over humans. He certainly removed the devil's right to oppress people who are submitted to Christ. Let me read three scriptures to you. The first is from Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And I'm just going to read the 15th verse. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Christ. So the father triumphed over them through Christ. Luke 9.1 contains the word of Jesus to his 12 disciples when he sent them out to do ministry and, quote, gave them power and authority over all the demons. That's Luke 9.1. And the last one is Mark 16.17. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons. All right. So there are some really good scriptures for you. Jesus defeated Satan when he died and rose again. Drawing upon that future victory, Jesus 
empowered his disciples to minister in his name even before he went to the cross. How much more can we who live in the aftermath of the resurrection do the same? Luke 10, 17-20 it contains the words where the 70 disciples had gone out in Jesus' name and, and cast out demons, and then they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus responded by saying, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. And then he went on to say, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Today, post-resurrection, we are in what might be called a mopping up operation in which we are enforcing the victorious reality of Christ's lordship. As representatives of Christ, we speak and minister in his name, releasing his authority. It is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to back up our words with God's power. Let me repeat this essential point. We proclaim Christ's victory of, over demonic oppression, thereby releasing his authority to set captives free the Holy Spirit then enforces what we say and makes it happen. He is the power behind the authority. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Casting out demons is a clear sign of the presence of God's kingdom. Unless we understand this, that the Holy Spirit is the power behind the authority, we may resort to using fleshly means to try to cast out spirits, much to the devil's delight. Okay, how do we get ready? During a ministry session, we should depend on the Holy Spirit to give us insight, wisdom, discernment, and whatever else may be needed. I recommend asking him to be in charge of the session. Next, bind any evil spirits in Christ's name, commanding them aloud not to act out in any way that might hinder or distract from Christ's work. I tell them to keep quiet and not manifest in any way unless by permission of Christ. If we do this, we will eliminate any showy demonic displays that are intended to provoke fear and confusion. In addition, having prayed in such a way, if a demon manifests or is otherwise discerned or detected, I assume that it is God revealing to us that it is time to deal with it. Remember, demons are never the main attraction. Instead, we should be far more interested in discerning how they got there, what has kept them there, and in helping the people in whom we, to whom we minister repent and renounce whatever opened the door to demonization 
in the first place. Once a demon and its entry point have been discerned with the Holy Spirit's help and any sinful behavior or beliefs renounced, it is time to cast out the evil spirit. Now, Jesus and Paul cast out spirits without going through these steps, but I am not usually in the marketplace when this ministry happens as they were. I have the luxury of being able to take the necessary time to get to the root of the matter. I suppose this is another example of what the Bible calls a variety of ministries in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.5 Once again, I believe we should never simply assume that we know what to do. Always ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. Thinking we know what to do simply because our doctrine is correct or we have ministry experience is potentially harmful. King David knew how to fight battles, but when he went up against the Philistine armies, he asked God for a specific strategy. 2 Samuel 5, 22 through 25. We should do the same. Here are some common steps to deliverance. Number one, confess and renounce any sin, wrong belief, generational sin, occult involvement, etc., that open the door to demonic oppression. Number two, ask the person to submit to Christ. Salvation is all about lordship. James wrote that the first step toward resisting the devil is to surrender to Christ the Lord. James 4, 7. We should lead the person who needs deliverance to pray a simple prayer of surrender to Jesus the Lord, especially in the area where the evil spirit has been oppressing him or her. Proclaim Christ's victory over the power of the enemy and over the particular spirit and area of oppression in focus. Remember, the gospel is a proclamation of Christ's victory and lordship, which includes an invitation to be forgiven and set free from everything that has held us captive. Acts 13, 39. Saying it aloud is important. Isaiah 61, 1 and Colossians 2, 15. We have no reason to think Satan can read our minds. Using our voice is crucial in gaining freedom. God uses the authority of the spoken word enforced by the power of the Holy Spirit to cast out evil spirits. 4. Command any oppressive spirits to leave in Christ's name and authority. Expect them to obey because they must. All right, let's talk about dealing with obstacles. Occasionally, we will encounter an obstinate demon who apparently refuses to bend the knee to our command. There could be a couple of reasons. The first to do, thing to do is to ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. Secondly, perhaps there is yet some hook that we failed to discern or renounce, which the Holy Spirit wants us to address. Thirdly, Ask the person receiving ministry if there is anything yet not covered that they know about. Fourthly, it might be profitable to bind the demon to speak the truth and ask it why it thinks it can stay. The answer could be illuminating for further ministry. 
always be aware that whenever a demon, whatever a demon says, since there is no truth in the devil, has to be judged in light of God's word and the witness of the of the Holy Spirit. If another layer of sin, pain, deception, or generational devastation is uncovered, address it as before. Then go through the deliverance process again. Here is a list of potential obstacles. Unconfessed secret sin or vow. Undiscovered generational sin. Unconfessed or unrenounced occult involvement. Agreement with a lie. Pride. For example, my demon is so strong that not anyone, not just anyone, can cast it out. Remember, there is nothing a person may have done that can effectively block deliverance. It is all a smokescreen. Always be aware that the demon simply is being obstinate and testing our faith and resolve. In this case, let us remember that the battle is the Lord's, not ours. When I encounter this sort of thing, I use the approach of turning the evil spirit over to Jesus for him to deal with as he sees fit. I'm not going to waste my time arguing or struggling with a disobedient demon. How do we know when the evil spirit has departed? The Holy Spirit operates in and through individuals in a variety of ways. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 in my case, I often have an inner confirmation from the Holy Spirit when a spirit leaves. I don't know how to describe it, except that it seems to be a kind of inner whoosh. I am sure that this is not helpful to you at all, which is good, because the last thing we need to do is try to copy someone else. God can confirm that a spirit has been cast out in any number of ways. First of all, remember that we do not even need a confirmation. We operate by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. However, thankfully, God may give us an inner or external confirmation. Often the person receiving ministry feels deliverance happening or senses the result of a spirit having left, as in a sense of release, joy, freedom, peace, etc. A minister may see it leave through spiritual discernment, 1 Corinthians 12.10. The person being delivered might have some sort of physical manifestation, such as coughing, gagging, etc. Regardless, we base our faith in God's word, whether we see any evidence or not. Demons must obey our commands given in Christ's name. Period. I remember a case when a person who was delivered approached me a few days later to let me know how much lighter she felt. In the aftermath of deliverance, she realized how much the spirit had previously affected her, even though she had been oblivious to its presence. If there is no immediate outward or inward confirmation, ask the Holy Spirit if anything more needs, anything more needs to be done. If everything is clear on his end, simply move on, trusting God to confirm the deliverance in whatever way or time he sees fit. Deliverance requires faith and is usually a partnership between the one receiving ministry, the minister, and the Holy Spirit.
That is why it is very important to do whatever teaching is required up front so that the person receiving ministry has faith in the efficacy of Christ's triumph, our authority to speak in Christ's name, and the Holy Spirit's power. We want to leave no doubt, for no room for doubt or hesitancy. My next article will conclude this section with talking about what to do after deliverance. I hope you will stay tuned.